Paceline is a production of the Cycling Independent with the support of listeners like you and the master bike builders at Seven Cycles. We are community supported, community focused, and dedicated to the whole of cycling. At the Cycling Independent, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, most all of the time, and with me is my co-host, John Amlin robot Lewitz. Uh, well, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Um, how are we doing, buddy? Wow, oh, so great. Uh, it's hot as heck. It's Oof. hot as Hades here. Uh, muggy, uh, rainy. Uh, my kids have a lot of activities. I'm driving all over the place, which I, I abhor. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Last year How? I replaced my vehicle. I had had a uh, Subaru Outback for, let's just go broadly with too long. Um, <laughs> and I yep. bought a Honda Odyssey Partly because I've always liked vehicles that could carry lots of things and partly also because, you know, boys and stuff and whatnot. And that has made the experience of being in a vehicle a mostly more enjoyable, but I still really don't want to drive all that much. Yeah, I driving. Uh, I haven't liked it in a long time. Uh, <laughs> I do a lot of it because I have a family. Mm -hmm. Um but for me, it's just like, I'm a pretty frenetic person. Uh, you know, I'm writing, I have ideas and I'm writing things mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, or I'm riding or do, you know, I'm just this whole idea of like sitting in traffic or even um, just driving along for, I don't know. I, uh, I've been doing a 45 minute out and 45 minute back to drop my kid off at a thing this week. And so it's an hour and a half of driving twice a day. And it just <gasps> feels like I'm uh, like my life is ebbing away from me. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a rough one. Uh, I mean, I'm old. I'm old enough to be able to accept that bike fitness isn't getting attended to. Uh, but yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. That's a rough the one. The things we do for love. <laughs> Um, mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yep. Yep. You know, someday we ought to do uh, a, a whole show on that aphorism. Uh, the first child changes the life of the mother and the second changes the life of the father. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of uh, I guess it depends on how you split the roles in your in whatever family you've concocted for yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um. I tend to be the homemaker uh, and the person who attends to things uh, <laughs> while my wife is gainfully employed in an industry that uh, isn't Values dominated. Employees. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, um, yes, we should talk about that sometime. <laughs> well, uh, we've got a future show already planned. 
We do. Uh, did, I wanted to ask you if you had caught up, if you had caught up on the tour. Um, not as such. Uh, it's all, I'm not mad at you. <laughs> no, I didn't think so. But it was one of those things I genuinely thought about. Maybe I'll invest a little time in this. And then, you know, seeing the social media posts from friends who are losing their minds about how lively the race is and everything. Um, I yesterday I actually had a moment of feeling like I might be missing out on something. Well, yesterday was the time trial uh, and I watched half an hour of time trial highlights, which is, you know, how I feel, how I personally feel about time trials is like. You know, watching grass grow. Yep. Yep. Uh, I, I mean, it's funny to me to think back on like those times when I was watching time trial performances and was just riveted. I mean, <laughs> Im- imagine someone like shaking in their seat watching paint dry. Yeah. The, for me, the only good time trial to watch is one in rain. Oh, for sure. I, you know, I was just thinking that one years and years ago, there was a, a, a roundabout or as uh, New Englanders would say, a rotary. Um, and uh, Chris Boardman went in hot and uh, yard sailed himself uh, for a good, I don't know, 20 yards after that. Um, and, you know, all of us who had never raced at a pro level uh, had never done a roundabout, um, you know, down in arrow bars. We're talking about how awful his line was. Mm. Like mm. we could have done it better. Well, uh, yeah, exactly. Yesterday's time trial, which will be two days ago's time trial by the time people hear this, uh, was interesting because several riders went down at the beginning because they seemed to put their uh, rear wheel over a stretch of white road paint mm, mm, in mm, the turn mm-hmm. um yeah very funny and i they they uh they seemed confused they went down they they looked back they were like what what <laughs> it's not wet yeah yeah um i i have a story about uh road paint and going down um yeah 2012, uh, the crash that should have killed me, three different professionals told me. Yeah. Oh. That began with a little bit of just an itty bitty slip on white paint on the inside of a turn. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, uh, paint is one of those things that I now, uh, we have a different relationship with paint on road now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely one of those things uh, experience teaches you to be aware of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wary, wary of. Yeah, yes. Any of those. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, no, I haven't really caught up on it. And uh, it, uh, I'm beginning to have a relationship with this missing out on, on this, but I'm not sure what to do about it yet. I mean, there will be a, a full summary recap at some point if that's important to you you know your life is fine your life is fine without it Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's plenty full that's for sure Uh, sure yeah so uh where are you taking us so today i want to talk so about uh, 
A year ago or so, I spoke on this show about my experience with my Van Moof e-bike. Oh, yeah. That experience was bad, as you might recall. Does that understate it maybe a little bit? Yes, yes. Uh, In short, it took nine months for that bike to show up after purchase, though this was during the pandemic, and so I just sort of accepted that. Mm Mm-hmm. But then the battery died after the fourth or fifth short ride, uh, and it wouldn't accept a charge. Mm -hmm. You know, basically the battery was defective from go. Right. Uh, Then began another nine months of back and forth with Van Moof tech support, during which they broke every promise they ever made, demonstrating the worst customer service I've ever encountered anywhere. Um, But that's all by the by now. The post I wrote about that original experience was read more than 35,000 times. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm happy knowing that I probably saved some folks from spending their time and money with a company not capable of fulfilling any of its promises. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they were long on promises. <laughs> I could see that Van Moof uh, had overexpanded, likely driven by outside investors. And I could also see that they'd cut some serious manufacturing corners with unreliable parts, primarily batteries, <laughs> uh, that forced them into a death spiral of warranty costs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Last week, they were granted credit protection by a Dutch court, um, basically saying, like, everyone chill out while these guys figure themselves out. This week, though, they were declared officially bankrupt by the court. Uh, with a sale of assets coming next. (laughs) Their assets must consist of, like, piles and piles of defective batteries. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So this is a story of grand-scale mismanagement, Uh, but I'm not trying to chase that story as a journalist. Mm -hmm. Um, Instead, I want to talk about the current e-bike landscape point out a few warning signs I should have heeded and ask you some questions about the companies doing good work in that space. Okay. So for a while now, the independent bike shops we all know and love have been looking uh, to e-bikes as a growth category. Mm-hmm. Beyond, even beyond your local bike shop, though, an awful lot of folks see e-bikes as possibly an even bigger market than pedal bikes. Oh, no as, question. <laughs> as evidenced by all the companies jumping into the game. Mm-hmm. So if the moneyed interests thought the growth of e-bikes was going to be organic, i.e. some percentage of annual bicycle sales, then you wouldn't have so many players in the game and so many from outside the bike industry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Initially, the e-bike sector to me, looked like a real Wild West situation with new brands flooding in. And I'm actually not sure we're past that yet. We are. <laughs> we're, we're not, right? No. <laughs> I'm still very regularly reading about e-bike launches from people I've never heard of before. Uh-huh. Yeah. On the one hand, that market is ripe for rapid innovation, right? Oh, Yeah. On the other hand, there will be a lot of companies like Van Moof who are too clever for their own good, looking to take advantage of the demand for these bikes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Having been sold a real dud, let me tell you what I would do differently next time. First, Mm -hmm. I'd buy from a local shop. I know that this is a drum I beat constantly, but this experience underlined it and underlined it again and then bolded it and then uh, clicked on the little highlight thing and put a highlight over it and then increased the font size. Uh-huh. Yeah. You're going to need service and support when you buy an e-bike. Um, a lot of these bikes have proprietary features and parts. Mm-hmm. You need a local bike shop that's invested in them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Next, I'd buy from a company with a track record, maybe even a traditional bike company (laughs) uh, whose products you already know. Finally, I'd buy a bike with as many common parts as possible. When you look at your e-bike, you should recognize most of the components on it. Um, yep. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. All right. I, I'm not even an e-bike guy, and I feel like I've got that you're nodding and making affirmative sounds is encouraging to me. Uh, I mean, yeah, you 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 were at a point where you could write a little educational pamphlet that could be given out, you know, like as people walk in bike shops. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I think so. I mean, I'm torn on this because I think there's probably <laughs> a lot to of people torn about. <laughs> well, I think there's probably a lot of people from outside the bike industry with uh, electric motor experience or battery experience who can bring something to this game that the big bike companies can't or won't because look part of what i'm advocating is that you stay inside the ecosystem of the bike industry you already know mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. like your e-bike should have a stem that could be the stem on your mountain bike or other, you know, or other town bike. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, I think that's a no brainer. Um, at the same time, not everything is going to have a Bosch or a Shimano motor. Not everything is going to have right. Like mm-hmm. there will be improvements coming from unexpected places. And I don't want to necessarily say we should run away from innovation at the same time. I'm not sure things are really sorted out yet. That's I, that is all entirely fair. Um, and you know, and to one of the points that you made earlier in terms of innovation, like, you know, uh, six months ago, the hot new thing happening in e-bikes were the, the, they call them moped, you know, style, but really they're more like motorcycles because it's a box frame, you know, And it's got a bench seat um, and, you know, you can't get the, the saddle is too wide and you can't get good leg extension. So nobody in their right mind is going to pedal those things for more than a mile or two. So you've got kids doing 35 miles an hour with the throttle on these things around town. Um, and that's that's ripe for some issues uh, a, a tragedy or two probably to be covered in bicycling magazine um and i don't mean to make light of this but i i look at the rise of those bikes as being uh something where someone is going to be paid like the piper uh some weeks <laughs> or months uh down the road uh, i'm genuinely concerned about those and then you know since then like in the last i, I don't know a little bit but the jackrabbit's been been out for maybe a year. We've got compact 
e-bikes, uh, which have um, a wheelbase uh, shorter than a BMX bike. Um, and some of them don't even have pedals on them. You know, it's just a, a mobility thing. Uh, you know, it's like, you don't want to walk two miles, take this thing. Um, but some of them have unrestricted motors so that you could do 35 on something with a, you know, 24 inch wheelbase. Uh, they're on the plus side. There are all sorts of fresh ideas happening and it's really kind of fun to see some of those ideas you couldn't pay me to get on. Um, so it's a, it's very definitely a mixed bag. Um, you know, so it's, it's something I watch with great interest, um, to, to your other point about making a wise investment. Um, I certainly support doing business with bike shops, uh, from a standpoint of like, you're going to need help at some point. And so having purchased this from a bike shop, <clears throat> When that warranty phone call needs to be made 18 times, uh, somebody at the shop can do it instead of you. Uh, you know, not, o not only that, but if you were like, take my situation, I've got this van move, mm -hmm. uh, it is functioning now. Mm -hmm. Um, but if I had a problem with it, I could not take it to my local bike shop. Nope. Nope. It's, they don't have the parts. Mm -hmm. They don't support like, you know, you walk in there with it. It's a liability. It's a walking. It's a rolling liability for them. Mm -hmm. They don't want to touch it. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm basically on my own with this thing now. Uh, and maybe I'm better equipped to be on my own with it better than some folks. But you just don't want to be on your own with this thing that you're spending, you know, quite a lot of money. On. Yeah. I do you recall the brand of battery that it has? Like if it dies at some point, can you pick one of those up on Amazon? I do not believe so. I think what's going on with van move currently is that there are tons and tons of dead ones mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. eBay for parts for the ones that are still functioning. And I <sighs> think there's going to be a sort of a fleet wide cannibalization. Like we had a comment on the original piece that I wrote, uh, from a guy in Holland who sort of gave more information saying basically like they had to add security at some of their stores because so many angry customers were showing up in the last month and, um, that you can't sell these things for anything online. It's all like garbaged and secondhand. It's really, it, it's, it, this is a really bad, yep, yep, bad mm -hmm. situation. And, you know, part of me, on behalf of all the listeners who might ever buy an e-bike, I hope that I'm the object lesson, that this is like the one bad apple in the crate, but it won't be. Um, no, no. There I, are enough weird little brands out there that aren't going to make it. Yeah, uh I mean, your bike is something I would get on Craigslist uh, before the sun goes down. <laughs> yeah. The, the, what you were just mentioning about the cannibalization for parts, um, more often than not, the e-bike uh, battery fires that we're hearing about, those are yep. people who are uh, cracking open the cases, pulling out the good cells, you know, tossing the bad cells, uh, and then trying to remanufacture those 
into batteries and, you know, inevitably there's one cell with a, a bad seal in it between the anode and the cathode that gets eroded. It starts a thermal reaction because that's what makes, you know, ele the electricity. Then we get thermal runaway and then you get a, a, a fire that is so impossible to stop that the fire department goes, well, you know, by two or three o'clock this morning, it should be burned out. Mm. Uh, and, you know, and we're seeing it over and over in New York City. Uh, so uh, repaired batteries are something to run from. <sighs> I, don't, I, I don't have another analog in the retail sector. I don't know of anything that you should. Um, cigarettes, OK? <laughs> repaired batteries are like cigarettes. Just don't go anywhere near them. They're awful. Um, but in terms of useful uh, buying advice, you know, for anyone who's kind of concerned about like, how is this going to play out three years down the road? There's an easy uh, uh, kind of bottom line to this, you know, buy an e-bike with a motor from Bosch or Broza um, or Shimano's Steps motors. You buy something with one of those three motors. Um, Everything else about that bike is going to be pretty normal supply chain stuff. Right. Uh, and it's, it's just a safe way to know that like these people are big enough to be doing business with very, very reputable companies. That said, I'm not going to advise anyone to run from something with a Bafang motor. Uh, Bafang's doing an awful lot of really good stuff. And those people make more different motors than I thought you could dream up with for e-bikes. Um, I'm certainly a bigger fan of uh, e-bikes with mid-drive motors than hub motors, but that's partly weight and that's partly the riding experience, you know, having a, a torque sensor rather than a cadence sensor. Mm. Um, you know, the, the thing about Van Move that really, really bugs me is they were part of this design contest, I don't know, six or eight years ago. Um, and they were one of these outfits that, you know, with their um, innovative, quote unquote, uh, frame design and whatnot, they were one of those hold my beers. Here's how let us show you how to make a bike. Uh, you guys don't know what you're doing. We will show you how to do a proper bike that people will want. And at the time, I was like, you know, this really gets under my skin because there are a lot of people who've dedicated their entire career to trying to make a better bike. Uh, and you know, these people, they don't have a background in bikes and. Ugh. It, um, it is a what they presented was a very slick package. They had, uh, it was very simple and stripped down, uh, and seemed clear and they made a lot of promises using the right words. Mm -hmm. And, I, I know that I am not unique in having had this um, experience that was all sizzle and no steak. Uh, there's <laughs> clearly an inability to source quality parts, put a quality bike together and operate a company. You know, as an example, I got this thing in the U.S. There was one. Uh one service center in the U.S. 
in DC. Mm -hmm. Uh, They, they had a shop in Brooklyn, I think where they also did some repairs. Uh, But that, and then they required like a battery swap required it going back to the service center, which is ridiculous. I said to them that that is eight hours for me. You're going to ship the entire bike from Boston to DC to swap a battery. Are you insane? And the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're not insane. We're out of business. <laughs> you know, the other thing that I would, I would suggest to people to think two or three or five times about before making a purchase is there is an abundant history. You know, it's, it's like books on the fall of the Roman empire. There is a deep history of European bike companies coming to the U.S. and not being able to figure out how to run a capable U.S. operation with six people. Yeah. Uh, so, I, you know, and I'm not jingoistic by any means, um, but if you, if you want to buy an e-bike and have a level of confidence that any problem you run into will be dealt with capably and competently, uh, competently, um, buy one with a serious U S operation. And, you know, I should mention from the conversations with people I've had there, Canyon does not count as a European operation at this point. The, the, the size of the operation they have here in the U S makes them very competent in this regard, but these big, I would companies, you know, it makes a difference. I think, though, that that's a that's a function of time for Canyon. When they originally showed up here, they're like, oh, we're here. But they did also underestimate the size of the task. So it took them two or three years to establish what is now a serious U.S. operation. But I think they showed up like we're here. And uh, the U.S. was like, I'm not sure you are. Um, That's fair. That's a fair statement. Yeah, they yeah. learned the lesson and they had enough money. They were a big enough brand in Europe. They had enough money to weather the initial sort of underestimation of the of the project. Um, I, I would give them more credit than that. I, you know, maybe because they're German and they looked at things objectively, they made the investment. There have been other operations, <clears throat> Colnago, um, that had the money, had the ability to make the investment and chose never to do that. Uh, the number of times right. Carl Nago's entire U S operation was between one and three people, uh, is most of the last 50 years. Yeah. I mean, a lot of them, a lot of them are just their U S operation is a distributor, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. which is. A joke. Uh, yeah. It's not really, it's it, it, that better be one hell of a distribution operation. Uh, if you're going to support an entire brand over a country this size. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, <laughs> there are some really great operations out there. By the way, for anybody thinking about an e mountain bike right now, um, Canyon and Marin are killing it. Uh, specializes also, uh, slaying things and taking names. Um, but as far as like really, uh, very value laden, uh, e-mountain bikes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Look at Marin and Canyon. Holy cow. Yeah. They impress me. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Alrighty. We're going to take a break and we'll, 
the, the the toy boat. We will be back in just a moment. This month, we're sponsored by our good friends at Seven Cycles, who've been in the vanguard of American custom frame building for more than a quarter century. When you work with Seven on a bike, you get real input into the design. They offer more tube set options than any other builder. They offer more ways to customize your bike. The process is deep, but it's also fun, and the result is a bike you'll love riding for a lifetime. We've secured a few places in their busy build queue for Paceline listeners, which means you can get a fully custom dream bike from Seven in just three weeks from submitting your measurements. This is the fastest route to the very best bike you're ever going to own. Also, just for us, they're doing what they call the centennial build. That means that your designer, bike builder, welder, and finisher will have more than 100 years combined bike building experience. That's a lot. To find out more, just head to 7cycles.com forward slash TCI. Okay, we're back with the Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. What's your pull this week? Well, this is going to take a second or two to set up, so bear with me. I'm currently reading the novel Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. Uh, It's about a woman who is a video game developer. It is a runaway bestseller, uh, which gives me hope because all of the characters are just as weird as I am. Uh, (laughs) I don't know if that hope is uh, professional or personal, maybe a little of column A and a little column B. Here's the thing. I've read Chuck Palahniuk's book on the craft of writing fiction. I love anything about process and craft. Um, and especially anything about the process and or craft of writing. Yes, I am that nerve. I, I warned you all. I am weird. (laughs) Um, so, uh, his book, consider this, uh, I've read several times. And one of the things that he talks about in that book is the value of a good aphorism, you know, a pithy truth, uh, prior to consider this, I'd never really considered, uh, see what I did there. Uh, just how valuable a good aphorism could be in establishing an author's authority. But he's right. A good aphorism can help convince you that the narrator knows of what they speak. So why am I saying this? Well, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow is full of them. I don't think I've ever read another book in my life so chock full of brilliant aphorisms. At some point, I'm going to go back through it and just you know, make a list of all the great aphorisms. Um, I mean, it's full of them the way, you know, the tour de France has skinny guys. <laughs> uh, and that got me to think about thinking about all the great aphorisms I've heard in cycling over the years. And I realized I wanted to record as many of them as I could think of. Well, in a, in a few days, um, my first one is one that became a shirt for red kite prayer. And I don't know this one to be prior to me, you know, popularizing it. I don't know that it was a thing at all, but I had two different uh, teammates say it to me. Plus one reader, like years later, there will be chaos. Keep pedaling. Yes. So the lesson there is that as long as you're on the gas, i.e. pedaling, you're unlikely to go down. Um, but I've written about that one because it carries such a weight of metaphoric truth. 
It's sure. it's something that you know carries all of the figurative long after the literal has been bankrupted. Um, here's one that I heard plenty, but was hard for me to actually learn, like in muscle memory. Break before the turn, not in the turn. Uh, that is, you do all of your braking prior to leaning the bike over. If you wait until you're in the turn to brake, uh, you're going to have to brake more than necessary. And had you done it all prior to the turn, um, uh, you would be carrying more speed out of the turn. Um, when you hit the brakes, it causes the bike to stand up and you carve a straighter line. So... <laughs> Uh, you know, I say this to my friends uh, when I we ride mountain bikes, uh, particularly if we're up in Vermont where there are switchback climbs. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, a few of them who are very good riders will ride right into the apex of the turn and then <laughs> slow down, stand up and then grind their way through the rest. Mm -hmm. And I I'm and I'm the opposite. Uh, this is a thing perhaps I do correctly by accident, but, uh, I, I do slow down coming into the turn and then I power through it. Mm -hmm. So as I'm, you know, and it seems to give me a better, yeah, don't break in the turn. Yeah. My challenge is I don't ever want to break more than necessary. So oftentimes I don't break quite enough before entering the turn. And then I'm still a little on the brakes through the turn. This is a thing that I, that's what I, so climbing, I got it nailed, mm -hmm. but the descent can be hard, especially if it's a, a trail you haven't seen before. You think you've sloughed off enough speed and you haven't, and then you end up like diving down into the turn on the brakes and <laughs> you stand up and lose all your, your speed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, here's another one about turning. Never apex a turn until you can see the exit. Mm. Mm -hmm. If yep. you apex too early, you'll have to hit the brakes and you'll be th yep. slower through the turn. Um, that one, there's a, a turn on Lodigo Canyon Road up in Malibu that's a decreasing radius turn. And it was, you know, I didn't do it that often because climbing Lodigo took me the better part of an hour. Um, but every time I was on that road, I always remembered, oh, there's this one turn coming up and it's a great opportunity to work on that sense of patience that you need. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. Now. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, decreasing radius turns are a great way to kind of, um, woodshed that, you know, session it. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, this one strikes me as so obviously true. I'm not sure it should count. A clean bike is a fast bike. Yep. Anytime I think of that, my mind goes back to uh, a teammate of mine at UMass who had a free whale. Yes, it's been that long. Uh, that was so gummed up, it wouldn't spin. The bike was effectively a multi-speed fixed gear. <laughs> <laughs> and this was maybe 10 minutes before the start of her race. Uh the deal is that uh, her boyfriend, also a member of the team, had decided he couldn't race on that wheel and stole her wheel and put that wheel on her bike. Oh, it was it was the classic college age uh, straight white dude, straight white dude move. That's not cool. At it, all. it was it was so. Yeah, 
Yeah, I didn't think, I thought very little of him before of it, uh, before that, and very, even less after it. Uh, but I happened to have um, a spray can of degreaser with me, and I sprayed that all over the freewheel and got it moving, uh, which impressed him, but I didn't care. Uh, yeah. She was awfully nice and very strong. Um, and I felt <laughs> really badly that she'd been treated so poorly. Anyway, yeah, a clean bike is a fast bike. I think that's a good aphorism because even though it's obviously true, uh, saying it will prompt people like me out of their laziness and clean the bike. And I will often say that um, uh, a spritz of lube and uh, correcting your tire pressure is worth so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Just those two things will make you much faster. Mm-hmm. Yes. It, it, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. And there's also the pleasantness of like the bike just being quieter. Yes. <laughs> That's worth something in its own right. But we don't have a good aphorism for quiet bike. Um, it, it, why don't you work on that for us? I'll get on that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, now here's something trippy. I have two contradictory ones. The first one I learned as a cat four uh, um, early on in my racing, all it takes is one or two mistakes and you're on the front. (laughs) This is a statement about racing and how important it is to be mindful of your position in a group. Um, You want to be near the front, but you don't want to be making the mistake of being at the front and having to take a big pull. That that reminds me of a thing my mother says quite often, which is no good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> yeah. Now, here's what's so funny. It's mate. Uh, the thing you learn later on is don't be afraid of the front. Um, I learned this when I started racing with slash against experienced cat ones and a few former pros, you know, doing the masters one, two, three stuff. They all had experience enough to know that you can't escape winding up the front uh, from time to time um, if you're you know, going to be near the front. And so you want to be seen taking a pull, not just always being a freeloader. And they also knew how not to take a pull that was too long. Yeah, uh, I equate it to being the, the first is junior varsity and the second is varsity. So the, the, the first one is, um, uh, it only takes one or two mistakes to end up on the front. And the second one is don't be afraid of the front. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I do think I ride a lot with my, uh, my, my buddy, uh, Coop, uh, and he's a diesel and on the flats, I'm on his wheel all the time. And I, but I, tr- I try, I don't succeed enough, but I try to spend a minute or two on the front. And I think he just gets frustrated because I'm not big enough to block enough wind for him. <laughs> uh, there's this woman who, uh, she's got a couple of stars and stripes jerseys in her closet and, you know, raced as a pro and, um, you know, yeah, has some really big wins uh, to her name, Suzanne Saunier. Um, and Suzanne and I used to do all of the group rides together uh, down in the South Bay in L.A. And uh, I once joked to her that there was nothing worse than being on her wheel uh, when she was taking a pull because it was like taking two pulls. She threw no draft. 
and you yeah. suffered to stay on her wheel. And then she, and she was fast as hell. Let's, let's be right. clear about this. She was stunningly fast um, and tenacious. So you'd be killing yourself to be on her wheel uh, during which time she was throwing almost no draft whatsoever. And then she would pull off and then you'd have to do another pull. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was for me, that was a mistake not to make was to be caught on Suzanne's wheel. Yep. Yeah. Uh, how about one for mountain biking? Sure. Most of your problems can be solved by going faster. Yeah. I lived that one in a fresh way uh, this past weekend. I was on my way down this one very, very rocky section of trail in Annadale. And there's this rock garden where there's just there. There are a number of uh, awful lines, a couple of acceptable lines and no good lines. Yeah. And I took a line that was new to me just for the sake of creativity or something i don't know what yep and mind you i'm on a full suspension bike with 29 inch wheels if anything's gonna roll over what i'm encountering it's my bike yep and i managed to hit a rock and come to a stop yep i now i wasn't on platforms but i did manage to clip out and you know kind of get myself controlled but i still managed to nick my knee on another rock Mm -hmm. um and it was one of those like clearly dude you are going slow it, that was my my objective wake-up call um you're you're not going fast enough yeah i think that's right a bike like that will bat it with enough uh force it will bash its way through almost anything regardless of what you're doing <laughs> <laughs> yes um, the bike is a better rider than you let it do it go on oh yeah yeah a flat back is a fast back Oh, yeah, that's a statement about aerodynamics. But in my case, it's also a prediction of spinal stenosis. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure on that one. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, but, you know, yep. consider. Um, yep. Here's one of mine I'd like to finally see make it to the big time. One flat is a bummer. Two is a disaster. How many of us carry two tubes on a ride? Not me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, even when I carried two tubes, that second flat was like, oh, I'm in trouble now. I, yeah. I need to watch my step. Yep. Yeah, yeah. What would you add? Oh, gosh. Um, it was something similar to what we were just talking about with mountain bikes. I would say the I would say the bike is a better rider than you stay out of its way. Yeah, that is so true. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I think, I think honestly, so I do a bunch of, um, so I do a lot of mountain biking and I do probably two thirds of it on my full suspension bike and a third of it on my hardtail, mm -hmm. both of which are extraordinary bikes. Um, and they, they do, they're good at different things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, on the dual suspension bike, uh, it would really be best if I just wasn't there. And so I think, I think about, uh, in any sort of technical situation, the best thing for me to do is to be out of the way of the bike as best as possible. And that, that seems very simple, uh, but it's not like, you know, you just have to put your weight 
in a way that the bike can do its best work. Yeah. I mean, it's not like many creative endeavors where, you know, what you need to do is get your ego out of the way. Yeah. This is actually get your physical body out of the way. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, yeah, it's all about being calm on the bike, being centered and yeah, just trust the bike. Another one I might throw out there is no matter what is happening on the bike, don't panic. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. If you feel like you're going too fast, don't panic. If you're going feel like you're going too slowly, don't panic. If you've crashed, don't panic. If someone else has crashed, don't panic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that's sort of a corollary to there will be chaos. Keep pedaling. Obviously, yes. if you're if you're on a single track descent, you're not pedaling. Um, or, well, I'm not. <laughs> right. Um, but. Yeah, it's stay calm. Things are going to work out. Stay calm. Things are going to work out no matter what. Uh, panicking isn't going to help. And, I, I, you know, I've ridden with my kids and they, they sort of get panicky. And I've ridden with first time riders and they get panicky. And I'm like, you know, pull over and stop. It's fine. Whatever you need to do to not panic. Um, and I've taken that as part of my, like, you know, I, I've crashed and broken my collarbone and I knew it was broken. I didn't panic. I just rolled over. You know what I mean? Like, yep. you're not going to solve any of the problems, either the riding related problems, uh, or the not riding related problems. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, uh, I'm trying to think what else is there? Oh, um, don't let your ego blow, blow you up. <laughs> you know like i remember one particularly long ride with the seven cycles crew uh i went with the fast kids because i because my ego told me i should and i blew up so comprehensively and bonked so hard and spent like 30 minutes sort of barely rolling along somewhere in new hampshire <laughs> don't let your ego blow you blow your you up mm-hmm. just yeah. 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 That's, uh, that's probably a note to end on. Yes. Yes. Yeah. If you remember nothing else, remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> All righty. Paceline picks. What do you have? All right. Today's pick is more of a tribute because most riders already are already using it and or don't need me to pick it for them. It's Scratch Lab Sport Hydration Mix, mm. which is for me just the simplest, best thing I can put in my bottle when I'm sweating. Yep. Uh, it goes down easy, i.e. it's not too sweet and it works. Mm-hmm. End of mm-hmm. end of story. Uh, yes, that is just the facts. Everyone knows this. What you might not be aware of is that Scratch also makes a high carb ber- version of their standby drink mix, Scratch mm-hmm. Super High Carb, uh, which packs 400 calories per serving on top of the electrolytes. Yep. It uses a carbohydrate called cluster dextrin, uh, which helps it to digest more slowly, like real food. I guess uh, part of the reason people tend to have struggles on the bike with um, gels and and chews and things like that is that that stuff digests so quickly, it becomes an awful lot for your stomach to process all at once. Mm -hmm. So, of course, um, Scratch addressed that. Um, The super high, this super high carb uh, mix that they make, it used to be called Super Fuel. Mm hmm. 
uh, which is kind of what it is. Uh, yeah, I can't imagine why they changed the name. I mean, it was a good name. I think I think it is, but they I think they opted for something that was more explicative of what the product is, which but is not how marketing usually goes. Not usually. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, I have a big thing about naming um, and I'm I'm kind of ambivalent on this one. I do think super fuel is a good name, but super high carb. It's like saying um, calling a, a a bike the one that goes fast. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is a certain truth in advertising quality to it. So, yes. Yeah. Hard to criticize that. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, I'm a fan of eating real food on the bike, but I also fall prey to laziness. And of course, a lot of the time, real food isn't convenient. Scratch, of course, solves these problems. They mm-hmm. they use science for all this stuff. I trust them. I trust Alan Lim. Uh the basic products, the regular drink mix, uh, is usually available at bike shops. The high carb might not always be there, uh, mm-hmm. but it's but it is available at scratchlabs.com. Uh, and there are flavors to all these things, but in my mind, lemon lime is correct in all scenarios. Um, <laughs> if they don't have that and you got orange, I wouldn't like point and laugh, but... Uh, you know, just yesterday, I had a bottle of the raspberry lime on my ride, mm. um, and uh, I was almost halfway through the ride before I pulled the bottle out and took my first sip of it that I've had in like a month. Uh, and this is only the first bag of that that I've ever had. And I took a sip of it. and I was like, my gosh, this stuff is good. <laughs> <laughs> That's hard to do with a drink mix. You know, and I think I think what you just said, it's it's sort of funny, but it's also sort of true that when you are in the scenario, when you're sweating and working and you put the thing in your mouth and it feels right, like, (laughs) oh, my gosh, that's good. It's like it's salt, like your body knows it's solving the problem for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh Whereas some you put in your mouth and you're like, oh, okay, (laughs) I guess I'm going to swallow this. (laughs) I've never had that happen. No. <laughs> you know, the, I, I once had, uh, Fatty and I once had a conversation about the the flavors of gels that you can't do on really hot days. His yeah. flavors and my flavors had some overlap, but they weren't identical. But yeah, there are some things that like on a really hot day, you, you do that for squeeze and it's like, oh, this is a mistake. Right. <laughs> right. I, I like an espresso gel. Uh, but I don't do those on hot summer days. That's like a good winter gel. Yeah. In the summer, it goes in your mouth and you're like, whoa, (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have to slow down to swallow this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Alrighty. My pick, uh, this week is the updated Wahoo element app. Um, for all those out there who are using uh, Wahoo units, uh, this is a good time to make sure your app is fully up to date. They've added a number of new fu- uh, features like their system workouts. Uh, you can schedule particular workouts and build workouts, uh, put them on your calendar, and it will walk you through them either indoors or outdoors. Uh Summit segments will give you info about a climb on a preloaded route you do. So you will know the answer to how much longer is it? Um, (laughs) It'll give you info on where you are, 
uh, what the elevation profile is, uh, and that's in addition to current gradient, which it's been doing all along, um, and even your estimated time to the top based on your rate of ascent. That's a really fascinating number that I'm not sure I really want, um, but it's a it's a definitive data point. Yeah. Um, the upshot here is that as someone who isn't feeling a need to check my performance on Strava segments, the element app is giving me sufficient resources to track my riding, which brings me to a question I have for you, our listeners, before we go. There's been a fair amount of discussion among my friends about who is continuing to pay for Strava now that it's no longer $50 a year. Uh, now that it's like $80 a year, I know a number of people who have dropped their annual subscription. And we here at the Paceline are interested to hear from Strava users. Are you still paying for it? Or did you go to the more limited free version? Um, it was a big jump in price. Yeah, that is, uh, as a percentage, quite a lot. I, mm -hmm. I also have a question for Paceline listeners, and you mm. can drop these in the comments on, on the post on the Cycling Independent, even if you're on iTunes or one of the other services right now, if you could jump over and, and just uh, chime in on these things. I'm looking for a new GPS unit. Uh, I had a Garmin. I had a very minimalist Garmin before, uh, and it has died which is what Garmin's do. Okay. I will uh, never, I will never give Garmin another dime. Oh, goodness yeah. gracious. Yeah. Um, I guess we know what Patrick's comment is, um, which I accept, but anyone who loves, loves, loves what they're using. And I'm looking for something, you know, fairly minimalist down market. I don't need everything. I'm looking for basic navigation. Um, Put it in the comments for me. I'm, I'm interested to hear what people have to say. Yeah. Um, and yeah, as always, we'd love to hear your thoughts about anything we talked about today, which is to say, if you have an aphorism, lay it on us. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Hey, how about subscribing? We've got $3, $5 and $10 options, as well as a tip jar. If you are commitment averse, um, as we like to say, you know, there's no private equity here. Uh, well, the equity is private. It's <laughs> it's you and me. Yeah. Um, but it consists yeah, of pocket lint and old dry cleaning receipts. I don't even know when I dry cleaned last. Go on. Yeah. Yeah. There are no MBAs here, you know, <laughs> counting their seventh figure. Uh, so, yeah, you know, we're you're helping to fund stuff like this and revolting with John and Stevel, uh, our intermittent updates of the long way home. Um, so yeah, your help keep us doing what we do. Alrighty, everybody until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to the pace line. Mm -hmm.